Hello and welcome to Kultubiot's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we've been exploring for you here at Kultubiot. Um, remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on or by following hashtag QC Weekly comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Dan Jolliffe, Investment Manager based in our Jersey office, and this week I'm pleased to be joined by our regular podcast guest, Richard Carter, our Head of Fixed Interest Research, and Ben Barringer, Equity Research Analyst. Good morning to you both. Um, so, Ben, I'd like to start with you, uh, please. So, many investors would have picked up that quarter one 2023 represented the NASDAQ's best quarter since 2020. Um, whilst the rationale for this performance is relatively straightforward, if we believe the Fed's rhetoric regarding future rate rises, I wonder if you could outline the key areas of the tech sector that you feel will drive performance over the long term. Uh, morning, Dan. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, look, it's uh, it's been a, a good recovery after what can be described as a pretty poor 2022. And, and you're right that rates absolutely were, were the key driver in 2022, a, a big a headwind for long duration uh, assets. I think there's a couple of things that also have helped, though, um, during the first quarter. Um, I always think about fundamentals, relative growth, and, and of course, rates. And we, we've just talked about rates, you know, the headwind easing a little bit. Um, fundamentally, I think there's some interesting things going on in, in, in tech at the moment. Um, the NASDAQ was up 18% in the quarter, but actually semiconductors uh, were, was the main driver of that. They were up 29%. And, and there's two reasons uh, why, why, why that was. First of all, you know, um, semiconductors are classically cyclical and there's always, you know, imbalances between supply and demand. You saw that during COVID, there was a limit of supply and and uh, very much, a, a, you know, a strong demand. Uh, then, as we've seen, the macro economy slow, demand has has eased and, and actually we've moved into excess supply and so there's you know quite high inventories in fact we're now at peak inventories uh, and that's one of the interesting things is, is semiconductor analysts tend to look through the downturn and look for the next upturn and and peak in inventories is one of the the best buy signals other buy signals include you know the fact that a, a typical semiconductor downturn takes four to six quarters and we're probably three or four quarters into it so again people are starting to look into 2024 and and uh, the, the recovery there and, and then the final thing in the sort of semiconductor playbook is that we've had quite a lot of cuts already and so um the cuts the end of the cuts classically is is the the, the uh, time to start thinking about buying semiconductors. So semis have been very strong for for the cyclical reasons, but they've also been strong because of a you know a lot of the uh, talk around ChatGPT. Um, and I think this is to, to answer your question on you know, areas of tech that we think are interesting over the long term. I think that there are there are two that we we uh, are strongly positioned towards at the moment. First of all is is cloud, and with that in that you know, artificial intelligence because. Artificial intelligence requires huge amounts of data collection and huge amounts of processing. Uh, and those are the, the, the sort of key ingredients that cloud provides. So there's been big um, moves in companies like NVIDIA and AMD. And those are the companies that really do all the processing power um, for for generative AI. So when you when you train a model, when you sort of try and work out the recipe, um, you do training with uh, graphics processing in its GPUs uh, made by NVIDIA and, and sometimes AMD. Uh, and then you do, you know, sort of uh, once you've got the recipe, you sort of continue to make the cake and make the cake and make the cake. That's called inference. Uh, and that's what you're doing when you're uh, asking queries of, of chat GPT. So that's the first main driver would be, you know, cloud. The second main driver and, and 
very strong performance uh, from cybersecurity uh, over the uh, over the quarter as well. Actually, cybersecurity actually becomes more difficult with generative AI. Think about all those phishing attacks. You know, the joke used to be some Nigerian prince sending you a fairly poorly worded uh, email. Well, think about what generative AI and, and ChatGPT can do in terms of increasing the relevance, personalization, and the just the speed of those attacks, right? So uh, we continue to think that cybersecurity will continue to outpace traditional software in terms of its growth rate. And that's very much been the, the case as we've come into a downturn. Software spending has slowed a, a little bit, still growing, uh, but cybersecurity spending has has continued to, to outperform that. So that's the, uh, the, the long and short of it. Rates has, has definitely improved the situation in tech. Um, uh, fundamentals have, have been beginning to improve. Uh, and I would also uh, argue that, you know, relative growth, 23 is going to be a poor year for tech, but 24 looks that much better. And with, with sectors like the energy sector and the financial sector starting to roll over, you know, um, uh, tech's relative position looks pretty sound. Great. Thanks, Ben. Um, just staying with you for the time being. So uh, increased regulation of the tech sector in China formed part of the litany of negative headlines that were encountered in 2022. Um, last week, it came to light that Alibaba will be split into six units, each with its own chief executive and board of directors. Uh, the market's taken the news positively with its share price up kind of over 26 percent over the last days. Um, last story, 11 days. So how do you interpret the situation? Should investors remain wary or do you feel enhanced regulation by the Chinese government will lead to a more competitive Chinese tech sector? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And, and let's sort of cast our mind back the last couple of, you know, two or three years, really. Um, you know, Alibaba's share price peaked out at 300 Hong Kong dollars uh, back at the end of 2020. Uh, and then the story through 2021 was this increased uh, regulation headwinds. So you've had you know, regulatory uncertainty, the government wanting more insight into what um, Alibaba and the others uh, have been up to. Um, you've also had an overlay of you know what they've been trying to achieve with common prosperity, and so trying to put a, a little bit more of a lid on the the profiteering and and the entrepreneurness that and and, and the wealth creation that's happened there. And uh, nobody's known that more than than Jack Ma. Uh, and then finally, you know, you've also had the the headlines moving into party party congress as well. You know, people worried that they were, the government's going to stay you know draconian. Um, I think you know that that uncertainty is starting to lift or at least people are more comfortable with it but you've also had the costs that are in the sort of regulatory costs for these companies that that have increased as well you know you, you put it correctly that you know there's the, the sort of quite a perfect storm for quite a lot of the chinese tech companies through 2022 you've also had you know slowing growth from from zero covid uh, and alibaba has also faced quite a lot of competition from jd and uh, pindodo so uh, you know those regulation the higher costs the slower growth those headwinds are starting to ease, actually, but you know, competition from companies like JD and Pindodo still remain reasonably in the foreground for Alibaba. But you know, as a, as a play on the reopening of Chinese economy, Alibaba has certainly been a decent place to be. Now, onto your point about the split out. This is a very interesting move um, because it's not dissimilar to what Google has tried to do in terms of separating its business to give investors uh, and the government, for that matter, more disclosure about the different pieces of Alibaba because it's a relatively complicated business. There's a lot more to it than just Chinese e-commerce. Um, and so what they're trying to do is, is, as I say, show investors 
all of the businesses, as you say, they've all got their own board of directors. They'll also have their own sort of balance sheets as well. And, and this opens the, the door to potentially you know, IPOs and spin-offs or maybe even sales, um, which helps people understand the true value of, of Alibaba. So I think it's a very interesting move. Uh, I think thought the timing was very interesting. You know, Jack Ma came back to, to China to sign uh, some of these deals. So that's quite symbolic uh, in itself. In terms of Alibaba as a stock, yeah, it's, you know, we, we, we like Alibaba, but we actually prefer Tencent, which we think has uh, similar exposures, but is in a much stronger position in terms of the competitive environment. So, you know, it's number one in in sort of social media and online videos, and also number one in the world in, in online gaming. So we prefer Tencent over Alibaba, but it's certainly been a an interesting time for Chinese regulation, but the, the headwinds appear to be abating a little bit. Thanks, Ben. Um, so, Richard, moving on to yourself, uh, the, the moves in gilt yields have kept investors on their toes over the past week, with yields rising steadily until Friday, when the core personal consumption expenditures index, the Fed's favoured inflation gouge, um, rose by 0.3% instead of the anticipated 0.4%. And annual inflation in the eurozone fell sharply in March, dropping from 8.5% to 6.9% uh, due to plunging energy prices. So in regard to uh, the US, with the next Fed meeting not until the 2nd of May, aside from the next CPI and employment data releases, are there any other data releases that you feel are, are critical um, to May's decision and May's meeting? Well, it's still it's still some way off, uh, Dan. I mean, I, I think the big one really is is the sort of the situation in the banking sector. So that seems to have calmed down. Obviously, we've got the issues with you know Silicon Valley and Credit Suisse and others. That if that continues to calm down as it has done in the last sort of week or so. Um, then that would be probably, you know, important for the Fed and mainly may sort of lead them to carry on raising rates if they feel fit, but if they feel it's necessary. But uh, obviously, if the whole sort of banking crisis reignites, then then the chance of a rate hike, uh, I would say, uh, uh, pretty low. I mean, I think on the inflation front, you know, you mentioned last last week's PCE numbers. Um, they were quite encouraging. I think inflation is gradually coming down. So we're um, we are getting there in terms of uh, the rate hiking cycle for the Fed. But obviously, things never that easy. I mean, over the weekend, the OPEC have announced a surprise cut uh, in oil production of 1 million barrels a day. And that potentially has, you know, could lead to sort of, well, it's going to lead to higher oil prices potentially, but also mean that um, inflation is a bit sticky. So, yeah, so I think as as things stand, we, you know, there could be a, a one more hike to go from the Fed potentially in May. But uh, as I say, a lot, a lot will depend on what happens with the banking sector. Great. Thanks, Richard. Um, so, you know, the strong performance of equity markets last week insinuates that the recent issues within the banking sector have largely dissipated. However, with the lending criteria of financial institutions tightening as significant outflows continue, um, I read over the weekend that in the first two weeks of March, all bank deposits in the US dropped by around $160 billion. Um, what options do the Fed have in order to manage this situation? Well, it's not an easy situation because, uh, you know, some of these uh, depositors can get better uh, rates in, in, you know, sort of in market, in US money market funds than they can on deposit. So uh, as long as that's the case, you can understand why they might want to move the money. Um, I mean, in terms of what the Fed's doing, I mean, you know, given that we've had a you know, slightly calmer week or so, what they're doing seems to be working, which is, you know, uh, providing liquidity 
to banks where they need it and also making sure that um you know instead of silicon valley bank you had to sort of sell assets like us treasuries and mortgage backed securities you know on big losses because of the rising interest rates the feds accepting some of these securities valued at par so that means that some of the banks uh, don't need to sell these assets um you know at a loss and, and have the same problems that uh, silicon valley bank did so the fed the fed's kind of on the situation you know as as much as it can be but ultimately <clears throat> ultimately you know it's a confidence issue um uh, around some of the weaker regional banks in the states but the other thing i would say is that you know, tighter lending standards and all the rest of it that we're seeing is going to slow, probably slow the US economy as the year goes on. The Fed normally in response to that would stop raising rates and potentially cut them. But, uh, you know, as we've just been discussing, the problem is inflation still, you know, it's coming down, but it's still potentially quite sticky, especially with this cut in um, OPEC oil production. Um, so, you know, all things being equal later on in the year, the Fed will cut rates, but it needs uh, it needs inflation to be back under control before it can do that. Great. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, so thank you both for those great insights and to all of you for listening. Um, did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? Uh, we'd love to hear from our listeners. So please review the show now wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at Called Achieve It to make sure you don't miss a future episode. Tap the subscription button. Um, we'll be back next Tuesday. Um, in the meantime, head over to our website, www.calledachieveit.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. Um, you can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Finally, um, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website because we'd love to hear your questions. That's it for today. So thank you to Richard and to Ben for your time today and for all of you for listening. Um, see you next time. Bye.